0: Welcome to the Real Time Roots Podcast. I'm your host, Christy L, and
1: and I'm Sarah, the
0: co-host. So, at the Joyably Real Time Roots Podcast, we want to help you grow your own food and medicine so that you can create health and wellness for you and the people you care about naturally.
1: Today we're going to be talking about the Joyfully lifestyle and how to grow abundance even if you only have a few minutes a day and the easiest and funnest ways to get started.
0: All right, let's get right to it. So Chris, how did you get started with gardening? Well, the very first time we had a garden, I was reading a book, right? I learned so much from reading books. And I was reading a book and it said to garden, you had to um, get your seed, you had to double dig the ground. You don't have to do that. But we thought from reading the book that we had to do that. Now we know better. And so we put a lot of effort into preparing this little rectangle out in the middle of our grass. And I took a package of seed and it said on the seed it was cauliflower. I believed it was cauliflower. I trusted the seed company and I planted every single cauliflower seed into little two inch pots and I put them on a table in my spare bedroom in front of a sunny window and I grew these beautiful cauliflower And then I transplanted them outside and I waited and I did everything right. I added organic fertilizer around the plants and I watched them grow and they grew big, big, big until they were about a foot and a half across and probably two feet tall. And they had this beautiful reddish green ball. And I waited for the cauliflower to show up. I knew that cauliflower, actually, the leaves would cover the head so you couldn't see the head. So so these beautiful reddish green balls were covering the cauliflower, I thought. And I waited and nothing happened and the cauliflower didn't show up. So one day I had a friend come over and um, we were having coffee together. And I asked her, so can you have a look at my cauliflower and tell me it- if you think it's ready to harvest, because I was afraid of doing it wrong, right? And, and maybe opening a cauliflower and finding that I broke it. So she goes out and she looks at my garden. And there was nothing else growing there. It was just one field of cauliflower, nothing else, like no lettuce, no flowers, no herbs, um, just one thing. And she said to me, why don't you cut one open? So we did, I went and went in the house got a big kitchen knife and came out and I hacked off the head and we cut it down the middle. And I found out that my cauliflower was red cabbage. Here's the problem. I think I grew 30 heads of red cabbage that were all ripe on the same day. And that's a problem because what do you do with 30 heads of red cabbage? I could make coleslaw with it, but Red cabbage, that doesn't, you know, I might have used a quarter of a head for coleslaw. Cabbage rolls, yes. And I was inexperienced with using red cabbage. So you know what I ended up doing? I mean, I know that you can use it to make Easter egg dyes. It makes a beautiful blue on Easter eggs. We could have done some pH science experiments with it. I could have made sauerkraut. Purple sauerkraut, is that a thing? Uh, We could make pickled cabbage with it, um, or we could mix it in with rice, but ultimately 30 heads of red cabbage was a bit much. And so I learned from that. I learned from that experience because what I ended up doing is cutting it all up and blanching it and putting it in my freezer, and then I still didn't know what to do with it in the freezer, so I ended up, oh, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, I ended up 20 years later pitching it from my freezer into the compost. Yes, that's embarrassing. Okay, so what did I learn? So number one, when you're gardening, don't plant the whole package of seed at one time. Very important lesson. Um, In the case of cabbage, I probably could have been very happy with just six heads of red cabbage, but remember it was supposed to be cauliflower. I could probably have used 30 heads of cauliflower. I go through a lot of cauliflower, but red cabbage, not. The second lesson I learned was to make sure to ask somebody with more experience than I have for help. And my friend, I probably should have asked her right at the beginning, but I thought that I was smart and that I knew until I didn't know. And so sometimes you just don't know what questions to ask, right? And... Then number three, it's really important when you're gardening or growing anything to have a plan for what you're gonna do with what you grow before you plant. So today we wanna talk about with you the Joyfully lifestyle. Now what is the Joyfully lifestyle? We're talking about growing your own food and medicine, growing your own craft materials, using natural dyes, and specifically about the conserver and producer lifestyle. And it all starts with planting a seed. I was reading a study published in the Journal of the American Dietetic Association that found that preschool children who were almost always served homegrown produce, vegetables, were more than twice as likely to eat five servings of fruits and vegetables a day, and to like them more than kids who rarely or never ate homegrown produce.
1: That would make a lot of sense.
0: For sure. I I bet kids that garden with their moms and dads probably also eat more vegetables. I remember when my daughter was young, she used to walk out to the garden and steal peas right out of the pot. We used to call them chocolate peas. Yeah, so fun.
1: And we had a couple of years where we weren't actually getting any peas into the dining room table.
0: That's right, because my daughter liked chocolate peas a lot. And and my husband used to, his mom and dad used to garden too, and he, and he told me that he used to just go out to the garden and pull up the carrots and wipe them on his jeans and eat them as is.
1: But he was also the one eating stalks of rhubarb directly out of the garden.
0: Yeah, yuck, stalks of rhubarb, so sour. So homegrown food has the highest vitamin content level of any food, and of course it has no preservatives, and it's also fresher than anything you can get in the grocery store.
1: And the food you harvest from the garden is going to be at the peak of ripeness rather than picked before it's ripe and shipped.
0: That's right. That's right. And when you grow your own food, you can choose varieties that aren't necessarily great for shipping, but they'll have other special things like uh, better taste, better uh, vitamin content, better color, uh, because there's just a greater variety of food available for when you grow your own. Plus, When you are gardening and growing your own food, you also get natural exercise and vitamin D from being out in the sunshine. Studies have shown that the positive mental health aspect of growing food increases a sense of accomplishment, a reconnection with nature, and even feelings of independence from the machine.
1: A new study reveals a significant association between gardening more frequently and improvements in well-being, perceived stress, and physical activity. The study from Britain's Royal Horticultural Society surveyed more than 6,000 people and results indicated that those who garden every day have well-being scores 6.6% higher and stress levels 4.2% lower than people who don't garden at all. And I would guess that the type of garden they're talking about could just be some pots by the walkway and not necessarily a, a large in-ground garden that you might be thinking of. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, I think I think there's just something about getting outside and getting in nature that is very therapeutic, especially for people that maybe their their full-time job is very stressful. There's been some studies done too where just uh walking out in nature and sitting down in a chair and breathing in the fresh air and feeling the breeze on your skin, how that reduces cortisone levels and um, reduces all of the stress markers. It's so therapeutic just to get outside. Um, In fact, so therapeutic that in some places, doctors are even prescribing going outside or going for a walk in nature as a medication for stress or for well-being. Sarah, would you say there's any long-term financial savings to gardening or do you think gardening like just eats away your money i hear about people buying like thousands of dollars worth of worth of seeds, and uh, i i can't believe that they're saving any money but what do you think
1: well it depends if you're already buying organically grown produce or you're trying to buy produce that's shipped in with the currently rising food costs we've had an insane jump in the cost of just a head of lettuce in the last couple of months So there is long-term savings available from gardening, even if all you're growing is a couple basic lettuces and maybe some carrots and some other things that you normally grow. As long as you're harvesting and preserving what you grow, you're going to find some savings, at least from the grocery bill, and especially in the long-term savings.
0: So according to Mother Nature Network and the National Gardening Association, People who invest just $25 in seed packages in home gardening can lead to an average of $600 yield in fresh produce. And especially when you're talking about some of the things we're going to be talking about later in the show, that's probably where you have the most significant savings. So don't leave us too soon because we've got some some great tips on getting growing later in the show. If you're just getting started thinking about using herbs to make something so that you can feel better and start to tap into the natural wellness, I've got the perfect course for you. My course, the Inspiring Botanical Drinks Mixers and Elixirs course. In this video course, you'll learn how to make healthy beverages that will help you break away from sodas and sugary drinks or plain boring water. Even if you have a two or three soda a day habit, even if the kids are home and you keep running out of ice and ideas, even if you struggle to get enough fluids in your body because of the heat, even if you are watching your macros, your carbs, or your waistline, even if you have food sensitivities or allergies, and even if the rising price of food and drink has you making tough decisions about where to cut costs. If you are making more food at home and watching your budget, but go to the same bottled beverages day in and day out, this class will inspire you to up your game in the beverage category with healthy and creative options that are also kind to your budget. So have a look at the inspiring Botanical Drinks Mixers and Elixirs class. You'll find the link in the show notes. The other thing that I want to point out is that when you're growing your own vegetables or fruit or even just growing maybe sprouts on your kitchen counter, you reduce your negative environmental impact because that is food that you aren't having to ship from long distances. You're growing without herbicides and pesticides, hopefully, and you're also reducing the water pollution that comes from industrial complex kinds of agriculture. And you're also less dependent on freezer and heavy truck transport, which means you're reducing your fossil fuels.
1: Which also helps reduce your carbon footprint. And you can also help your local butterfly and bird population, because even just a few extra flowering plants can help the native bees and the native butterflies, which brings a positive environmental impact rather than just focusing on trying to reduce a negative impact.
0: All right, so there are some People that are listening right now that are saying to themselves, well, that's fine for you, but I don't have time. So we want to talk a little bit about some of the roadblocks that you might be facing and some of the mindset issues you might have that might stop you from experiencing the true joy that comes from planting seeds and watching them grow, and the true joy that comes from the joy bully lifestyle. So What do you think, Sarah? What would you say to somebody who's saying, I just don't have time?
1: Well, it really doesn't take a lot of time. There are many different things you can grow that take just a couple of minutes of maintenance. And if you already have a yard, you're probably spending time landscaping, trimming trees, mowing the lawn, edging the paths, trying to make it look good for people who are outside of your family. And... Maybe some of that time could be spent caring for plants that will give you food.
0: One of the easiest ways to do that, actually, and one that will please your homeowners association, is to to start edible landscaping. And that can be really fun as you find plants that actually produce food but are also really beautiful. There's lots of options for that. Like, for instance, you could be growing Swiss chard. Swiss chard is a green that you use like spinach. In fact, it's in the same family as spinach. And there are varieties like, for instance, bright lights chard or Oreo chard or rainbow chard that have different color stalks. So it looks as pretty as a flower growing in the garden. And that can even be planted interspersed with your, your flowers, your roses, and it looks great in the landscape. There are other plants like that too that are great landscape plants that can also be used for food.
1: Well, one example of that would be the flowering kale. We had a friend who planted flowering kale as an ornament because she was hosting a wedding in her yard. And the flowering kale is just the same as your regular kale, except it looks more pretty. And when you're done using it as an ornament and when the frost touches it and sweetens it, you can use it in your kitchen. And nobody's going to guess that that flowering kale is actually edible.
0: Good point. Good point. There are actually um, some plants that actually look more pretty after they've had a frost. Kale is one of them. A lot of the brassicas are like that. Some of the carrot family are like that too. The leaves will get a beautiful reddish or purplish tone after they've had a bit of frost.
1: Some of the red lettuces too will get even darker red when they get a touch of frost. Like the uh, red deer tongue lettuce is a really, really rich bronzy red, particularly after a frost. And of course, you always have the normal flowers like the pansies that you can plant out and the flowers are edible. And everybody recognizes pansies or sunflowers.
0: Yep. Nasturtium is another edible flower. Sunflowers are edible. You can even eat the um, the green pod before the flower opens. You can eat that part and saute it in butter. It's really good. After that head has dropped its petals, but before the seeds are formed, you can also eat that. Uh, Baker Creek had a story in their catalog about how you could cook that and eat it like corn.
1: Yeah, when the seeds are green, so they're nice and tender. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly, before they get that hard shell.
1: So basically, that would be eating a milk stage.
0: I have tried the sautéing the immature flower heads before the petals open, but I haven't tried the other. Have you tried it, Sarah?
1: No, I only had a few sunflowers that produced seed last year, and I left them up for the birds and to self-seed. With the heat last year, 90% of my sunflower volunteers didn't make it, which meant it was a good thing I wasn't planting sunflowers, since they were all volunteers.
0: Ah, that's sad. So they were all, they were all volunteers, coming from whoever planted your garden the year before, or coming from birdseed?
1: Uh, the people who planted the garden the previous years had just let the sunflowers heads stay on the stalk to feed the birds over the winter. And so the natural seed drop when the birds were eating ended up self-seeding the sunflowers for multiple years. So I think the first time sunflowers were planted here was over five years ago, and they've just self-seeded since then.
0: Oh, nice. That's nice. That's like gardening with no work. I like that. The other thing about gardening or the growing lifestyle is that it the time you spend in the garden can be considered exercise time. So if, if right now you're going for a daily walk for 20 minutes, spending that time in the garden is just as good for your heart and for your, your body as going for a walk. And you get your steps in.
1: If you're doing a lot of crouching down and up and down and up, you can actually skip leg day at the gym.
0: <laughs> That'd be good. That'd be good. The other thing about growing your own food that I think is really important right now is that growing your own food protects you from inflation. We in Canada here, we're seeing food prices, and I'm sure that that people are seeing this everywhere right now. We have hyperinflation and food seems to be hardest hit. And so it's, it's good to have a way to kind of cushion yourself, cushion your budget, and growing your own food can do that. Do you want to comment on that, Sarah? What are you finding?
1: Well, I've seen a couple of um, memes online that sort of point out that pears grown in Argentina are shipped to Thailand and packed and then shipped to the U.S. to be sold. And with the skyrocketing price of gas right now, it's going to cause the food price to skyrocket as well because of how much shipping is involved in our standard food that we get at the grocery store. There's just so much that's growing in other climates, then shipped to be processed and packaged for consumption and then shipped back to us. That being able to go a couple kilometers to your nearest farm or walk out to your backyard is going to cut way down on the cost and the ability of the cost to skyrocket.
0: So so you're cushioning yourself from inflation, but you're also reducing your carbon footprint, which is going to be great for the climate, great for your local community too. The other thing about that is that when you grow your own food, usually the, the harvest is so abundant that you have lots to share. And I think that sometimes we don't consider the community value of what we do and when we have something like food to share then that builds community and it it actually lessens the time that we have to use to build community food food is one of those things that opens doors
1: and if you can work with a seed exchange or with other gardeners in your community There can always be an agreement that maybe one person wants to focus on pumpkins and not really wanna grow summer squash. Someone else likes growing summer squash, but hates growing pumpkins. And there can be agreements for people to grow different crops that take up a lot of space and then share their harvest with those who are growing crops that they're not growing. That's
0: a good point. That's a great point. So, so far we've talked about some of the roadblocks about time that we can overcome by growing our own food. And now what I'd like to talk about, Sarah, is where would someone start? If someone says, yeah, hey, I'd like to grow my own food, but I haven't a clue where to begin, what would you say to them?
1: Well, I would probably say to start with a mason jar and a bag of sprouting seed. Because most of us have a jar in our kitchen that we could use to sprout seeds and you can pick up sprouting seeds at just your local health food store or you can order them really, really inexpensively online. You can get literally almost a kilogram of sprouting or microgreen seeds for that $25 that we mentioned and normally a 200 or 250 gram pack of sprouts in the grocery store. Is, I think it's hitting around six bucks or more now. Wow. And two tablespoons of microgreen seed, that's about 30 grams, is going to give you four cups of sprouts. So a good, what, three quarters more than what you would buy for five or six bucks at the grocery store?
0: Twice, twice that.
1: And you can even just buy like your regular beans at the grocery store, even and sprout those. Right, right. Like mung beans. Or, a sunflowers that are non-roasted.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. So you're recommending people start small by just growing sprouts or microgreens. Maybe that's a new concept to some people. With microgreens, you use the same seed that you use for sprouting. So if you get sprout seeds, um, you can use them to grow microgreens and sprouts. And then microgreens are basically just sprouts that have gone a little bit further. So with microgreens, you don't eat the root. You're eating the cotyledon, which is the the first leaves that come out of the seed. Um, and with sprouts, you're eating the root as well. So that's a difference. And usually with sprouts the cotyledon hasn't hasn't matured or developed. So you're you're going to eat them just when the root is showing and the leaves are just starting to show and turn green. So with sprouts, you can eat them anywhere from uh, four to seven days after you get them wet for the first time. With microgreens, though, you're going to wait for seven days before you harvest, seven to ten days, and then you're going to eat them when the cotyledon is quite large. And so that's the only difference between them. Uh, Microgreens, usually you grow them in soil or you can grow them on like a paper towel or something like that to give them a place for the root to grow. Whereas sprouts, you just grow in a jar. Um, So what kind of equipment does somebody need, Sarah, to get started with sprouting?
1: Well, for sprouting, you just really need a wide mouth jar. That makes it easy to get the sprouts out. And the straighter sided the wide mouth jar, the better. And then a piece of window screen, like what would be used in, like, to patch a screen door or something similar to that. I would not recommend trying to use a handkerchief. I tried that once, it didn't drain well. So, a piece of screening is gonna work best. And then you can just cut the circle of screen to fit the mouth of your jar. Get a regular ring for your jar, the canning ring without the lid part. And then you're good to go. All you have to do is put your sprouts into the jar, and then uh, rinse them, or depending on the type, you might- some like being soaked for three to four hours, some just like getting rinsed and then inverted to drain. So depending on the type you're growing, if it's like a bean seed, you'll want to soak it for at least four to six hours, then invert the jar. So I like doing that in the morning before starting work, if I'm gonna start those. And then in the evening, you just invert the jar, let it drain, and then usually twice a day, you fill the jar with water, give it a shake around, and invert it to drain again. So
0: what you're saying is put the seeds in the jar, add some water, soak them for a couple hours, drain them, and then twice a day, rinse a seed, drain it, and just let it sit. That's all there is to it, right?
1: Yep. I usually leave my jars inverted just in my draining rack by my clean dishes. And then it's nice and convenient to the sink. And if I'm, say, putting my coffee cup there in the morning, I can grab the jar, fill it, rinse it, put it back. And it takes an extra 30 seconds or a minute per day. And then once the sprouts have grown enough, usually to fill the jar, or sometimes it only grows to fill half of the jar, then one of those rinsings, I'll let it drain. And then I'll get a colander, pull out the sprouts into the colander, rinse them off, Put a paper towel in the bottom of my sealable fridge container, reusable fridge container. Usually I use my glass one. And then I put the sprouts in there. Put another paper towel on top because that keeps excess moisture from causing the sprouts to go slimy. Put the lid on and I can put it in my fridge and they're ready to use whenever I need them. And they'll usually stay good for anywhere from three to seven days if they last that long.
0: Three to seven days. I was just going to ask how long are they good for? That sounds great. What if somebody wanted to grow microgreens? How would, they, how would they do that?
1: Well, the microgreens are a little bit more involved and a little bit more complicated. So I have successfully grown microgreens in a thin layer of soil in a recycled aluminum container. And I did sunflowers that way. I found them a little bit difficult to harvest because of the height of the aluminum container. So I recommend using a two-part microgreen planting tray or repurposing one of your friendly uh, clamshell boxes from Salad. Those can work as well. But I would recommend those only for peas or for sunflowers because those grow the fastest and get the tallest. If you want to grow a short microgreen sprout like beet microgreens, radish microgreens, lettuce microgreens, or any of the other ones that usually just grow like an inch or an inch and a half high, I recommend two-part microgreen trays because you can water those from the base. And they have low sides, so it makes it a lot easier to harvest once they're ready. And then after the trays and your seeds, you just need a base, so that can be potting soil, that can be coconut core or cocoa mat. I've grown some microgreens just on paper toweling. That requires a little bit more maintenance to make sure they stay wet enough and they don't wilt on you. So I like the water absorption properties of the coconut core or just regular potting mix. And then you just need some type of flat tray with a weight because that holds the seeds down and makes their roots go down instead of them playing topsy-turvy on you. And then usually you keep them in the dark for, depending on the variety, I think it's three to seven days. And then you can take the weight off, let them grow for a bit still in the dark And that helps them stretch because they're looking for light. And then you expose them to light for about 12 to 36 hours so that they green up and they generate their chlorophyll. And then you can harvest. And usually you just harvest the microgreens with a pair of scissors.
0: They're ready to go in like five to seven days. Usually, There's some like basil will take longer or some of the more exotics will take longer. You know, what's really amazing to me, Sarah, is that when I first started doing sprouts, You pretty much could only get alfalfa and clover sprouts, and now there are literally dozens of kinds of sprouting seed and microgreens that you can get. As more and more people have started growing their own sprouts at home, and more and more small businesses have started providing sprouts and microgreens to the community, the resources that are available to get started have just exploded, and they're not expensive at all to get started. Like for instance, you mentioned about the sprouting. Well, you can get a a ready-made sprouting screen now for like $4 to put on a mason jar that you already have. And so that's amazing. And of course, there's complete kits that you can get too. Let's talk a bit about how you would use sprouts and microgreens, because maybe some of our the people that are listening have never really thought thought it through. And I said, you shouldn't plant something unless you have a plan. So if you had an abundance of sprouts and microgreens, what would you do with them?
1: Well, before I address that, I'd just like to add one note about the kits for sprouting. Usually those will come with a stand and a base so you don't have to leave the jar in your dish rack. You can actually set it to the side on your counter. You can tuck it into a cupboard. You can put it out of the way. And the tray keeps it from dripping everywhere and the rack holds your jar inverted so that your sprouts will grow well. Now, for using sprouts and microgreens, mine usually don't last very long because I usually end up just eating them straight. They are highly tasty, highly nutritious, and I love using them instead of lettuce in salads because they add delicious crunch. There's even uh, dedicated sandwich sprouting mixes with radishes and lettuce and clover and alfalfa that add just that kick of heat from radish and mustard in the sprouting mix. So it can add a really nice touch to a sandwich or wrap or sprinkled on top of salads or on eggs. If you're working with say bean sprouts, then you would actually wanna cook them so they can do great in stir fries or any type of um, quick heat cooking. So if you're, say, grilling up some mushrooms on the stovetop or something, you could throw in some sprouts with them just to cook the sprouts, because it's not recommended actually to eat bean sprouts raw. It's always recommended to cook them. And with the microgreens, um, some of them are so sweet, like the pea microgreens and the sunflower microgreens, that it almost tastes like you're eating green leafy sugar. So those ones, honestly, they can just make a salad with no lettuce needed. Yeah. Or dressing except for maybe a little bit of olive oil and salt right right
0: and we've done that too we've made an entire um, salad just with microgreens and sprouts so if we have piqued your curiosity at all stay with us till the end of the show because we're going to give you a resource that can help you get started growing sprouts at home and microgreens right away stick with us As you probably have guessed from listening to us, that growing food can change your life. And it's not hard because seeds want to grow. And the sooner you begin, the sooner you'll experience the joy of growing food at home and harvesting food at home. But it can lead to so much more. As in, you might end up having a science fair project that takes you to the nationals based on what you grew yourself at home.
1: And here's some of the things you can expect from us with the Real Time Roots podcast. We're going to be talking a lot about edible gardening, cooking at home, foraging for what's available in your area, using herbs for health and wellness, and of course, using plants for crafts and more.
0: Thank you, Sarah, and thank you listeners for joining us at the Real Time Roots podcast. Now, as I promised, I have a resource for you. So go to joybillyfarm.com, Growing Abundance, and download your copy of the Growing Abundance ebook. It will help you start your homegrown lifestyle immediately. It will show you step-by-step how to grow sprouts and microgreens, as well as guide you through growing seven of the easiest and most nutritious and flavorful sprouts and microgreens that are available. These are the ones that I grow myself on my kitchen counter every single week. One of them, hint, even tastes like maple syrup. And one, another one of them has so many health benefits that there were court cases over who was allowed to grow it. So get your copy of Growing Abundance at joybelieffarm.com backslash growingabundance. We hope that the Real Time Roots podcast will be a seed for you that you can grow into the homegrown lifestyle too.